Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. What I learned on that day was when I'm terrified, don't ask for help. Because if you do, you're going to get backhanded. Right. Yeah. So if you're terrified, if you're absolutely terrified, no matter how terrified you are, do not ask for help. And that is the essence of attachment trauma. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives and what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you you What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
Hey, my beautiful friends, I hope you're doing well. On the Heal blog this week, don't miss Imposter Syndrome, 10 Tips to Ignite Authenticity. If you are never able to be yourself, if you've forgotten who you really are, this one is for you. The link to this blog post is in the show notes. Dr. Reshi Joseph is an expert in the trauma space and he has first-hand experience of living in deep trauma. Dr. Reshi was a medical doctor from a privileged background working in one of London's top hospitals when his life fell to pieces. He ended up a street junkie living in a bus shelter. And when he finally got clean, he asked himself, how could this have possibly happened? How could someone who seemingly had it all crumble so spectacularly? Dr. Reshi was on a mission to find out, and it came back to this one answer, childhood trauma. We pick the story up as Dr. Reshi is talking about how difficult emotional intimacy is for someone who has experienced childhood trauma, which prevents vulnerability and connection. The most difficult thing to achieve, I think, in, in any relationship is that of emotional intimacy, particularly for a traumatized person, because emotional intimacy pivots on vulnerability. And the whole idea of trauma is, I don't want to be vulnerable, because when I was vulnerable, look what happened to me. Look what happened to me when I was small and helpless. Look what they did to me. So don't ask me to be vulnerable. I'm not going there. And to slowly work towards a place of vulnerability. I think that's the hardest part of the journey. I'm still on that journey. I think I've improved. My wife and I had a joke about it the other day. She said, well, it took you three months to tell me about something that really hurt you. We're now down to three days, so it's progress of a kind. <laughs> you <laughs> know, whereas it takes, it takes a three minutes, you know, it takes me three days, but well, it started off as three months. Well, no, no, it started off as not at all. Yeah. I would just keep it, you know, I would just, there was no way I was going to reveal anything that made me feel vulnerable and made me feel terrified and then we started at three months and we've slowly worked our way down to three weeks and now we're at three days progress progress of a kind i think (laughs) i think it's yeah it's incredible progress thank you for sharing that story i mean it's such an insight into how passionate you would be about this topic when when it's so close to your heart and everything that's happened to you. I think so many people have these realizations so many years after. People mm. sort of say to me, Oh, I'm 40 something or I'm 50 something, and I'm just realizing this stuff. It's just not something that we know a lot about. But obviously, we're getting the word out there more and more. What what types of things cause trauma in childhood? What are the main reasons that we get traumatized okay well you can broadly divide it into three groups okay there are the big t 
unavoidable events, you know, the, the floods, the tsunamis, the earthquakes, you know, the American soldiers coming over the hill, the Taliban coming over that hill. There's not really a lot we can do about any of that. So I'll just set that to one side. Okay. But I'm going to come back to that because there's a very interesting aspect to, to trauma that involves this. That's your big T trauma, you know, war veteran, earthquake survivor, natural disasters, so on and so forth. And then there's this small T trauma. Now, these are the things that on the surface of it don't appear to be, you know, don't appear to be perceived as life-threatening. But when you contextualize it, they may be. If, let's say, I were to be picking you up from the supermarket, right? Say you're at the supermarket, you've done the shopping, and, you know, Dr. Reshi says he's going to come pick you up. But Dr. Reshi happens to be an hour late. How would you be feeling? You'd probably be sitting, standing there. You'd be a bit irritated, I think. You know, you'd probably think, you know, this guy's always late. Thoughts of that, that kind, right? An anxious, yeah. Yeah, anxious. Now replace you with a four-year-old child standing there waiting for mummy to come and pick her up. All the other kids have peeled away. All the teachers have peeled away. All the other parents have peeled away. And you're standing outside a dusty school gate and there's no one and mummy is nowhere. You have not developed the cognitive faculties that you just adumbrated very well. You know, not a very nice or pleasant experience. That's not what you're saying to yourself. You don't have the ability to say that to yourself yet, right? This is theory of mind. Your brain is telling you, my mummy's disappeared. My world has ended. So to that four-year-old, when mummy finally turns up, I can guarantee you he is going to be absolutely hysterical when mummy turns up. So do you see what I mean? When you put the event in the right context, it can be perceived as extremely threatening for a child to be left by the side of the road for a period of time running into hours. He doesn't know where his mother is. He doesn't know where his father is. He doesn't know how to get hold of any of them. He's alone in the world. That would be terrifying to that child, right? So that's your event. But what causes the trauma is when, in order to placate the hysterical child, hysteria, by the way, is the old name for trauma. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yes, we used to, until very recently, the old name for trauma was hysteria, and it was thought to only affect women. And do you know what the treatment for hysteria was? No. A hysterectomy. Oh, wow. That's, that's, how, we treated, that's how we treated traumatized women until fairly recently. Wow. forcibly removing their uterus Gee. forcibly yeah I, i'm talking terrifying I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking 
within living memory. Mm, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this stuff is actually quite important, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, you know, and uh, which is why I have such a, a love-hate relationship with Freud, because he noticed that the brave soldiers coming back from the Boer War had exactly the symptoms as these hysterical women. Uh-huh. And that told him instantly, it can't be coming from the uterus, because if it did, these soldiers wouldn't have it because they don't have uterus, right? And together with, there were three key individuals, Pierre Janet, Jean-Martin Charcot, and Sigmund Freud, right? Now, Janet and, and Charcot in particular have nowhere near the status and influence of Freud. If Freud had stood up and said, look, forget about the uterus, this is not a condition that affects women, this is a neuropsychological symptom. It would have carried a lot of weight. It could also have destroyed his career and he didn't take the chance and instead kept the research to himself. And for that, I, I find it very hard to forgive him because how many women suffered as a result of his keeping silent? Judith Herman goes into this very well in a chapter very early on in her book called Trauma and Recovery. If you read that, you really, you really be quite shocked by how Freud was a man of his time. Mm. And he wanted his seat at the top table and he wasn't going to do anything to jeopardize it. Anyway, so anything that causes a child to feel unsafe, but that's the event. That's not what causes the trauma. What causes the trauma is when that hysterical child gets into the car and the stressed mother cannot deal with this child who's screaming and crying and basically backhands him with, a, with the, the back of her hand and says to him, one more sound out of you and you're going to regret it. That's where the trauma happens. Because events like these are unavoidable. Parents will be late. Traffic jams are everywhere. You know, these things are a matter of life. So it's not what happens to us. It's what is done to us that elicits certain changes within us. What I learned on that day was when I'm terrified, don't ask for help. Because if you do, you're going to get backhanded. Right. So if you're terrified, if you're absolutely terrified, no matter how terrified you are, do not ask for help. And that is the the, the essence of attachment trauma. Or and therefore you're unable to be vulnerable for the rest of your life. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So it really comes down to the bond between a child and their parent, doesn't it? What about if you bond with one parent but not the other one? Will that... Yeah. Will that just lessen the trauma? That's, that's fundamentally to misunderstand how trauma actually works and, and, and what attachment is for in the first place. It's going to, I'm going to have to take a bit of a running leap at this one rather than a standing jump, if you will, if you will allow me to do so. Okay? Sure. Let's, let's go back a little bit into our evolutionary background. Now, attachment behaviors appear with birds. Before that, if you look at fish or frogs or turtles, when they lay their eggs, they don't stick around. They lay them and then they leave. It's only with the emergence of birds that when the eggs are laid, the birds stay with the eggs. And when the eggs hatch, the baby birds cry. And when they cry, the mother bird feeds them. That is the first instance of attachment that we see in nature. It's very important because many people confuse attachment with love. They are not the same thing, right? Attachment is a survival strategy. Love is much more complex a, a discussion of which attachment is a part. But attachment is purely a survival strategy. I'm a helpless chick. I can't hunt for myself. I need my parents to feed me. How do I do that? I cry for food and they feed me. If I don't cry for food, they don't feed me and I die. Simple. Okay. And as you go up the evolutionary chain, you can see that attachment behaviors become more and more and more complex as we evolve into more and more and more complex animals. But the most complex attachment behaviors of all are in human beings, which in a sense sit right at the top of the evolutionary tree. Think about a horse, okay? A horse can run on the first day of its life. A human baby cannot lift its own head on the first day of its life. So when you have such a fragile and frankly, very, very vulnerable infant. You need something very, very powerful, right, for survival to take place. And nature has given us that mechanism through the most powerful neurotransmitter that we possess. 
and when a baby is born and the mother or the parental caregiver nurtures that baby what happens is the baby or the infant's brain floods with endorphins endorphin by the way is a is a combination of two words endogenous and morphine right so when i say endorphins what i'm saying is morphine that your body produces okay mm -hmm. we used to think that endorphins were there you know to help us deal with pain if we were on a hunt or something but in 1977, great Estonian neuroscientist Koyak Pangsep proved conclusively that this was completely wrong. The primary purpose of endorphins is for human attachment. That when you nurture a child, when a child turns to an adult caregiver and nurtures that child, the, both the adult caregiver and the child gets a massive hit of endorphins which makes them want to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and that is the mechanism that nature has given us right it doesn't have to be a mother it doesn't have to be a father it can be an uncle it can, we've seen it time and time and time and time and time again you know dad's in jail mums are crackhead uncles are not interested but look at Tyson as an example. He found Customato, who was an Italian living up in, you know, upstate New York, had nothing to do with, with Tyson, just saw a talent in him, but also saw the circumstances that he was in and thought, well, young man, if you're going to be selling crack on the streets, street corners, you're not going to get very far took him out of the environment, put him in his house, sat him at the same table as all of his white children and said, this boy is as good as my son. Tyson's world transforms. He goes from a completely berserk and uncontrollable boy to a disciplined young man who went on to become the heavyweight champion of the world at age 21. And the interesting thing is that Tyson's life unraveled when D'Amato died. Wow. That's how powerful the attachment bond is. I mean, there are some experiments that have that, that Pangsup did that in a way I'm glad he did because there's no ethic, ethical committee in any university in the world today that would ever allow these experiments to be conducted but back then they could pretty much get away with anything, right? So he did something very interesting. He created two fake mummies. He had a whole bunch of newborn rhesus macaques and he created two mummies, right? One mummy was called the nurturing mummy. It was covered with soft fur rugs. It was soft, it was comforting and it had a lamp inside it, so it was warm, okay? The other mum was constructed with exactly the same bits of wooden wire, but all it had was a milk bottle, was food. And they calculated, and on average, they found that these newborn rhesus macaques spent in excess of 16 hours a day with the nurturing mummy, 
that didn't actually do anything. It was just soft rugs with a, with a light underneath it and less than 55 minutes with the food mummy. And that just tells you the difference between what's important to a newborn and what isn't. Yeah, the food's important, but nowhere near as important as the nurturing, the soft, the warmth, the ability to be close to an adult caregiver. And then they did, they thought, well, we'll push the experiment a bit harder. We're going to make these nurturing mothers a bit nasty, okay? But every time the newborn rhesus macaques approach the nurturing mummy, they get a blast of wind. They get pricked by, by needles, you know, really nasty stuff happening. And they thought it would make the newborns just go, this is too much. I'll just go for the food mummy. The opposite happened. The more painful you made it for them to be attached to the nurturing mummy, the more tightly they clung on to those nurturing mothers. Wow. The more difficult, the more painful they added as many. And I'm not going to talk about some of the things they actually did because it's, it's really quite, <laughs> really quite unethical. And, and, uh, and I, and I, I, you know, Pangs up as a great hero of mine. And this is one of the things that, that I find deeply regrettable about him in the quest for knowledge where he would use electric shocks and things like that. I, it's just, just very hard to see one's heroes uh, dragged down in this way. But, but there were things that he did, right, to prove his point, which was I could make these nurturing mummies really, really unpleasant. And the newborn rhesus macaques would cling on to them even more tightly. Wow. And the thing about, about this research is that he used primates that were closest to us in the evolutionary chain, which is why his research, I think, is exceptionally important in understanding why attachment is so important. So going back to your question, even if you have mum and dad who can't provide it, grandma can stand, step in and pick up the flag. You know, I have a friend, a fellow psychologist, for whom that was the exact situation. His parents and siblings were all killed in a car crash age nine. And his grandparents raised him. He has no trauma. Unlike me, he has absolutely no trauma. And I remember asking him why he thought that. And the answer he gave me, and I quote him verbatim, was because my grandmother gave me the space to be angry. You know? Yeah. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world 
with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.